All right, is anybody ready for the word this morning? Man, I'm so excited. I've been learning so much from Pastor just by watching him. It's so different when you come into this place, not when nothing is expected of you, and you just receive. It's, it's something different. So for the past month and a half, I've literally been going to school. So is it cool if I share with you this morning? Okay, thank you guys. I'm good. So my word for the day is focus. I want you to write this one down at the top. Um, the, the series that we're in is called life, which is living in whatever that word is every day. My word today is focus. And what I'm hoping through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit is that as I speak to you this morning, that the Holy Spirit and God would begin to teach you. I'm just going to talk a little bit. I'm going to tell on myself. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to share some things with you in regards to focus. But I'm hoping that today at least one person will walk out of here seeing things a little bit more clearly. That's my hope. So if you guys know me, I'm a huge movie buff. So over Christmas and Thanksgiving, whenever I get the time, like I love to just watch movies or Netflix. And to let you know how much I love those things, I gave them up for this consecration. And like my finger always itches when I type anything in. Like I'll type Gmail in my search bar and the Netflix will drop, drop down. It's like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. Or, or I don't know if you guys know, but the Proud family is now on Disney+. Plus. I'm like, yo, really? You're going to announce? And then power is back. I got to figure out who shot Ghost, but now I can't watch Star. It's like, yo, like the one time I decide to consecrate something for you, God, you got to give me all these great TV shows. But it gives me something to watch in February. By the way, did we figure it out? And it, we'll figure it out. So one of my favorite movies is The Matrix. So a long time, have you guys ever seen it? Long time ago, dad came home. I mean, he was like super hyped, and not many things get him excited. Not that things aren't exciting, but when you're not easily impressed upon, it has to be really good for somebody to freak out. So dad was like, we got to watch this movie, The Matrix. And we watched it, and I fell in love with it. And it's one of those movies that has become my compass. Like, you can, anybody have like a book like that or a song, or you can go back home and sit on your grandmama's porch, and when you sit on the porch, you're like, wow, okay, I remember where I'm at. Well, this movie does that for me. Because there's a scene in the movie where Neo, right, he's like the, the one, he has to make a decision between a red pill and a, a blue pill. So Neo in this movie, if you've never seen it before, he's extremely lost. Like, he's trying to figure out why life exists. He's trying to figure out, like, what am I here for? Like, what is my purpose? How many of you guys have that question? We all are in search of that question. Like, who am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? When I get there, how will I know? Who's going to help me? Well, somebody's going to show up. How will I know when it's the right person? How will I know to take the next step? And what happens with Neo is that he is met with a helper. So this guy's name is Morpheus. So Morpheus basically tells him, like, hey, I can give you sight, but it's going to cost you everything that you have. But then Neo starts to talk to Morpheus. He's like, what are you talking about? I can see. My eyes are open. But Morpheus says, no, but the eyes that you're seeing through are not real. So then the entire movie, like, you, you can get lost in all the bullets flying and all of this, right? And, like, you can get lost in, like, the combat fighting and, and like, how beautiful and, how, like, the cinematography. But at the entire movie is somebody trying to lead someone to see correctly. The whole movie. So a lot of people think that the third movie is how the movie ends, but no, the movie ended in the first movie when he was given a choice to choose to take the red pill or to take the blue pill. Morpheus says to Neo, he says, look, you have two options. You can take this pill and you'll wake up in your bed tomorrow morning and believe whatever you want to believe and this conversation would have never happened and you'll live your life as though it was before. Still looking for answers that you'll never find. 
That wasn't in the movie, but that's the part that I add. Because I've watched this movie a million times, so I kind of helped him out. (laughs) But then he says, but if you want to open up your real eyes and change your perspective on what life is and really see it correctly and stop stumbling into things because you think you can see but you're actually blind, then you can take this pill. But the coolest part of the movie to me is Neil's hesitation before he takes the pill. Because in the movie, he reaches for the pill that would cause him to wake up and forget about it first. That's the one that he reaches for. But Morpheus looks at him and he says, now remember, choose wisely because you only get to make this choice. You only get to make this choice. Okay, this is, what am I, what am I doing wrong here? Too far forward? Can you come help me? Yeah, it's okay. It'll be all right. You only get to make this decision once. I think one of the biggest issues, they are tied. You want them more tied? They, they are. We're going into a brief intermission. Give us a second. Are we good? Yeah. There it is. Okay, so the coolest thing about the movie is that as he's sitting there, once he takes the pill, his eyes are opened. And once his eyes are open, there's this thing I want you to write down. He now has become responsible for what he sees. In his responsibility of what he sees, now he takes it on as his own mandate to teach every single person to see. But the only people that he teaches to see are those that know that what they see right now isn't reality. Neo doesn't waste his time trying to bring sight to those that are okay being blind. Neo doesn't try to bring opportunity to people to see correctly who are okay not seeing correctly. Long story short, it's impossible for you to try to tell somebody about a redeemed life that they don't want for themselves. That's why when you become a new creature in Jesus Christ, a lot of people are not going to like you. It's not because they don't want to. It's because they can't. Because now your eyes are open to something that they have chosen to be blind to. So the crazy thing about it is that after you watch this movie, you start to realize that when I'm looking at something, when I'm looking at an issue, when I'm looking at sin, when I'm looking at something that's scary, to other people it's scary. But once I became a new creature in Christ Jesus, he gave me a new lens and what looks scary isn't scary anymore. What's big isn't big anymore. So then I'm not upset with people when they don't see it how I see it because they're still blind. I don't fight with people when they don't see it from my perspective because then I'm like, oh, you, you can't see. I don't fight with my grandfather to wear his glasses. He decides not to wear them. Therefore, he is blind. So I'll read for him. You read for people by living your life in a way that they're able to see through you. You literally become the lens of God. When people look at you, they literally see Jesus. That's why we're supposed to be transparent. So people in your life can be blind, but by looking through you, they have sight. Are y'all ready for the word now? Let's do it. So the crazy thing about the movie is that once Neo is able to see, he then takes on this mandate to show people how to see. But the first thing that you have to know is that you cannot show something to somebody who has decided not to see it. So living in our faith, there are a couple of things that we have to understand about Jesus. There's a couple of things we have to know about God. And in order for this conversation to go, there's some things that are called infallible truths. You know what that is? <clears throat> infallible basically means that it, like, truth cannot stand up to it because truth in itself isn't enough. It's like 
thing, like the sun is hot. That's infallible. Like you cannot scientifically prove to me that the sun is not hot. Therefore, there are some things in our faith that if you do not understand these things, it's going to be impossible for you to love God. It's going to be impossible for you to call yourself a Christian because there are certain things. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe these things. Do you know what they are? Here they are. Write them down. The first thing that you have to understand as an infallible truth, meaning that you have to believe this. Like you don't have a choice. You don't have to like try to work it up. Like if you, it's either you do or you don't. Look at your neighbor. Say you do or you don't. There is no gray. There is no middle. There is no, well, I think this or I've listened to this person. That said, no, 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 this is infallible, which means that you are not smart enough to try to pick it apart. The first thing that you have to understand in our faith is this, is that relationship with God demands your obedience. That's not questionable. If God said it in his word, that's a period. There is no, like, let me think about it. No, no, no. No. doesn't matter how many letters you put after your name, how many degrees you get. If God said it, that's it, period. Secondly, the Bible is God's collection of law and his demonstration of his love. Everywhere that you read in the word where God judged somebody or where you think God is being hard or callous or like, well, I don't want to talk about that God. You have to understand with everything that God does through judgment and law, it's automatically cushioned with love. Even if you don't feel it. Kind of like when you get whooped and remember your parents used to always come to you and talk to you and you felt better. Was it them coming to talk to you that made you feel better or was it that your action that was bad was corrected? The third thing that you have to understand is that God is all-knowing. Period. There is nothing that God does not know. God literally created knowledge. You are. God create. Uh, next point. The second, I mean, the fourth thing is that everything in our faith is built on faith. It's not built with what you see, it's built with what you see and believe. The fifth thing is this, is that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, which is repentance, which means it does not matter how good of a person that you are. If you do not give your life to Jesus, you will not go to heaven. It's not that you can't. It's not that it could happen. It's not that you're like going to trip over the gate. No, no, no. If you do not call to God and you say, God, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I accept you as my Savior. I am a sinner, but now I accept you into my heart. If those words never leave your mouth, heaven is not given to you. This is kingdom. This is not to make you feel good. I want to make sure that somebody sees correctly today. Is that all right? Repentance is inevitable. It's like the first step to getting there. It's kind of like putting milk in the bowl before the cereal. And if you do that, you're a psychopath, and we're going to pray for you after the service. <laughs> the sixth thing is that God is holy. What that basically means is that God is literally set apart from all the things that make us human. Which basically means that God, we always say like God is good, but I don't think we really understand that God is a God. Like, we have more um, um, acceptance and more deity for these people that we see in the movies like Zeus is a God. But God is a God. Matter of fact, God is the only God. He, like... If, if you're going to believe our faith, you have to re realize that he is, he is God. He is the God. He is the only way. Yahweh, he, he is the one that created the time before the beginning and the end. And I'm setting a foundation, so don't fall asleep on me, please, because I'll stay at this point. Because it's the most important thing that you get today, that you understand that if you know God is king, that's great. You know God is savior, that's great. You know God as, as, as omnipotent, great. But you need to know God as God. Which means this is the next infallible truth. Whatever God wants to do, he can, will, and has the authority to do it. In any situation that you're in, even if your faith 
is strong, your faith is not stronger than God. Which means that you cannot pray, consecrate, or fast God to move his hand on something he's made his decision on. Oh, Jesus. Seventh is that God is a judge. We run away from this word judge, but I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus Christ came to the world so that God's gavel wouldn't fall and make us guilty. But just because Jesus came doesn't mean that God is no longer judge because he's holy, which means that what we deal with as humans, he doesn't have any context of sin. He has no context of what we deal with, so he has to have somebody there in between us. But then once Jesus died, that veil was torn, and now we're able to be with God again, right? But that doesn't mean that God looks at our sin and makes a caveat for it. That doesn't mean that God looks at the way that we live badly and says, like, hey, that's not a big deal. No, no, no. Because the last thing that you have to understand as the infallible truth is that God hates sin. Like, not just hates it. Like, he loathes sin. Like, it literally turns his... His, his stomach. If he's holy, that means that he's anointed and he's set apart, which means holiness cannot be in the same space as sin, which means that whatever we're doing in our lives, God will love us, but he'll hate the act that we're in. Let me prove it to you. Let me, let, let, let me prove it to you. In Genesis 3, in Genesis, we see the, the, the it's the beginning of, of the story. Adam and Eve are, are, are made, and then later on in the story, remember, Eve is tempted, right? Write that word tempted down. Eve is tempted. Now listen to this. The serpent was clever, more clever than any animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat of this tree? So the woman looks at him and says, well, not at all. God said that we can eat of every other tree in the garden except for that one. We're not even supposed to touch it. But in the fourth verse, the serpent told the woman, you can't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, underline this, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw, underline that. Remember, the text before said that she saw that it was good to eat. But now she's seeing through a different lens, which we call deception and we call temptation. When she saw that the tree looked like it was good for eating, which means that even though it looked good, doesn't mean it was good, which means that everything that you see isn't good for you. Even if you try to cock your head and squint your eyes, if it's not good for you, sometimes it will look good. She realized what she got out of, what, what she would get out of it. She'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. This is the first time in history where somebody deliberately decides to disobey God. They deliberately look at something that they want and decide to grab what they want rather than clinging on to what God said. One thing that I want to introduce to you today is it's not temptation that makes you sin. It's selfishness. Temptation is something being, and there's temptation in this room. If you're married and there's another woman in this room, that's temptation. If you're an alcoholic and you're just driving down the street, there's a grocery store with alcohol in it. Is that not temptation? But when you make the decision to turn the car, walk in, grab the bottle, purchase the bottle, go home, pour a glass, then drink the glass and begin to become intoxicated, then ask God for mercy. I want you to understand that God loves you, but God absolutely hates selfishness. 
Because the only selfishness that God really loves is the selfishness that is displayed towards him. Look at your neighbor and say, God is jealous. Like, God is like that bad ex that you can't get away from. Like, God is like, if I can't have you, nobody can. And even if you don't want me to have you, I'm going to chase after you until I get you. So we have to understand something. When you are tempted, that's not sin. It's just temptation. Once you make the decision to go in the direction of that temptation, you are literally always saying no to God. It's impossible for you to tempt and still love God at the same time. So we try to do this thing like where we sin and we're like, oh, God will forgive me. No, you have literally just told God what you told me about your word when it comes to sin is unimportant. I'm going to do what I want to do because I know that there's grace and mercy, which means you're going to give it to me anyway. So doing this is worth how many days it's going to take me to get right with you. Let's go to the seventh verse. Wake up. Immediately the two of them did what? They see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. Eve didn't sin because of temptation, but because of two root reasons that each person deals with today. The first is selfishness, and the second is unbelief. Anywhere in your life where you are questioning doing something, anywhere that you do something that is against the word of God or against what God has set in stone, you do two things. You have made the decision to do it, and you have told God, I do not trust your word and what you said, so I'm going to do it anyway. When God says, do not lie, when you lie, you look at God and you say, you know what, what you said about lying isn't true, so I'm going to do it. Even if your heart posture is in a place like, God, I love you, but this is just who I am. God doesn't understand the difference between sin and reason. There is no reason for sin. All God sees when he sees sin is red. Let me go to the word. Let me go to the word. The second thing, the devil was right in telling her that she would know good and evil. But he did not explain to her that she would know good and evil in a different way than God. Let me explain this to you. God does not understand sin experientially, which means that God is like a doctor that knows everything about cancer, that knows everything about sickness, but he's never had it. But he knows how to treat it. When, Ad when Adam and Eve bit the apple, they didn't just become acquainted with sin. They literally became sin. So if God is like the doctor that knows cancer, then that means that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, literally became the patient with cancer. So when you explain to God, God, I was weak, God says, I don't understand what is weak. Sin is going to kill you. I've said it in my word. Well, God, he was so sexy. That's great. But you still told me you didn't believe me and you were selfish. So once they ate the fruit, once they sin, once we sin, we literally embody the thing that God hates. So God can see you and love you, but his focus is tainted because all he sees is sin. Then Jesus dies, he rips the veil, he washes us with blood, and now what happens after that, once we have that opportunity, Jesus sees you and your sin, but he always chooses you. Look at your neighbor, say he always chooses you. God makes no caveats for sin because he made a way for us to get out of it. Romans 6.23 in the King James Version says, that for the wages of sin is what? No, I, I thought it said that the wages of sin is a sick stomach, which we call conviction, right? No, the wages of sin is a couple of sleepless nights until you get over what you did, right? The wages of sin is, is it's, it's not that you're going to die, right? It's, 
It's that you'll, 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 you'll feel a little bit different and you'll, you'll pray, you'll go to church until you get right and then you'll go back to do it and then you'll come back and you'll just play like this hopscotch game. No, no, no. What the word of God says is that the wages of sin is what? Which means that when Adam and Eve bit the fruit, they literally died there. Not a physical death. Not, 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 not a death where we bury you six feet under, but a death where your spirit now is in disconnect with God. Because the minute they became sinful, they became unholy, which means that they could not be in God's presence. So we get upset like God was just so terrible. He kicked them out. No, 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 no. God had to kick them out because if he became just as dirty as they were, he wouldn't be able to create a way to bring them back. Help me, Holy Spirit. So God has like this peculiar relationship with blindness. In the Bible, we see God use blindness and focus like 34 different times. In the Old Testament, which means I think he's trying to get us to see something. Because you know what's funny? If you try to show somebody something, they won't see it. But if you take it out of their sight, have you ever done that before? I've been like, wait a minute, like, I thought I had my keys right here. But you, your keys can be there all day. And you'd be like, where are my keys at? You want me to prove it? How many of you have ever been on your phone with somebody and been like, hey, they're like, hey, man, well, you need to take these notes. Like, all right, bro, I need to find my phone. Where it's at? Hold on, wait a minute. Where my, where's my phone at? Which means that to your naked eye, you can miss things that are right in front of you. So sometimes God has to use blindness to get you to see. Ah! Sometimes God has to take things out of your peripheral and has to darken everything so that you have to trust in him to show you sight. Because we believe that every day we open up our eyes is by choice. Woo! So God has this weird relationship and interest with blindness. There are multiple times that we see it. In Exodus 4, 11 through 12, we see it where Jesus literally rebukes Moses at the mountain. It's like the most amazing thing. Anybody seen The Prince of Egypt? It's another movie that's one of my compasses. Where, Jesus, where God talks to Moses, and it's my favorite line ever in any movie. He says, who made man's eyes? Who made man's mouth? Who caused the blind to be blind and opens the eyes of the seer? Is it not I? Now go do what I told you to do. The second time that we see it where it's extremely significant is Paul on the road to Damascus. In Acts 9, Paul is on his way to kill some Christians. Like, he, he was a tormentor. You know about those people that we read, like, in our history books that literally went and, like, murdered millions of people? That was Paul. But while he's riding on this, 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 this or what would you say? It was a donkey. Everybody loves donkeys. He's riding on this donkey. A blinding light comes, knocks him off the donkey, and he hits the ground. And God changes his name. And the same people that he was going to slaughter, now he goes and proclaims the word of God with them. Like, aren't you here to kill us? I am, but... Some, my name was changed, and I can't even see you anymore. It says that as he taught the word in Damascus, he did it blind. Like, just get there. Like, he proclaimed the word of the Lord blind, even though he, he teaches the word of God to the same people he was going to dip in tar. The third place that we see blindness that is so in, important is blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 46 through 52. A man that is, that is blind, and because of his F-A-I-T-H, he is able to see. Which means that if you have nothing else but faith, it's enough. Uh, but then we look at the book of John. Now, the coolest thing about the word is that it's literally alive. I, like, now when I read the word, I literally see a comic strip. When I'm reading the word, I literally ask God, like, what would, like, when you talk to Moses, like, 
I know you slipped a couple curse words in there. You can't put that in the Bible because it's holy, but I know you dropped some, 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 you put some heat on that man. Like, I know you, right, because the Bible is holy, but God is gangster. I'm just telling you, God was like, look, bro, <laughs> like, you're going to have to see me if you don't want to lead God's people into the holy. Like, I'm sure that there was another translation. But in the word of John, we have to understand this. When you read the books of the Bible, they're written from different people's perspective. The, 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 it's, it's God gives them revelation, and then they write based off of the revelation. But with God's disciples, they get to speak from two different ways, revelation and experience. So the book of John is written by a man named John. Now, there's this conversation where the Greeks and the Jews, they fight against one another because the Greeks believe that John was just this, uh, an, an old elder that lived in Jerusalem once the whole Bible story is over, once Jesus has died, once uh, he's come back and like, there's peace. People, people believe that that John is just, just some John. He's just some John. You know, like when they say like in forensic files, like if they don't know this name, like, oh, it's just a John. That's what they believe. Just some guy with no name, no importance. But the Jews believed that it was John, the one that was with Jesus as one of his disciples. In the book of John, we get to see why God loves blindness so much and why it's so important. Can I show you? This is the coolest thing like, I've, I've seen all week. So when we look at the book of John, he gives his account of Jesus according to his experience and by revelation. So much to say in John 20 to 31, at the end of the book, he says, Jesus provided far more good revealing signs than are written down in this book. Which means that it's impossible for me to write in this book everything that Jesus did because he just did too much. You have to remember that when Jesus came to earth, he was literally God and man at the same time. So it would be impossible for us to fill a book with everything that he did because just by walking on the ground, it was a miracle. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally relived it. So in the book of John, you can break it up every two chapters, right? So write this down for your Bible study later. One and two, two through, four, two through five, six through eight, and then the ninth chapter all the way through the 20th chapter is basically a whole bunch of things that Jesus did. The 9th through the 20th chapter is basically the miraculous signs and controversies of Jesus. When you read your Bible, when you're reading it, there's, there's headers, there's texts. And next to those texts is a little number. Next, that little number is a header at the bottom. And if you go and you Google it, it'll tell you exactly what they meant. It's kind of like when you're reading in a science book and you're learning about a certain subject. If you don't know where you are in the page, where can you look? You can look at the top of the page and it reminds you what you're reading. So John begins to write about Jesus based off of what he did. So let's, can we talk about that just for a second? So this is what would happen. Jesus would, do, he, he, he created water out of wine, which is a wedding. We know that one, right? The second is that he, at a temple, he walks in and just starts doing what? Flipping tables. Like, Jesus is going nut. Like, knuck if you buck. That's what he, like, he's just like, what are y'all doing selling stuff in the church house? Like, what, like, what are you doing? I mean, he's rebuking people. He's Sparta kicking people in the chest. He's like, this is the house of God. The third thing that, that, that we see is that he meets this guy named Nicodemus. Pastor Martin taught a message a long time ago called Nick at Night, which means that regardless of where you are, if you can make it to midnight, it's no longer night anymore. It's automatically day. Great sermon. But he meets Nicodemus, and this is the first time that we ever see somebody have the conversation of being born again. So Nicodemus looks at God because Jesus says, hey, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, so am I supposed to, like, jump back? He's like, oh, no, no, no. 
No, your mom's done that once. We don't want to put that in reverse. No, we're not going to take care of that. But you can be reversed by proclaiming my name, saying that I'm the Messiah, and then we'll make an exchange where I'll take your sin because I'm going to die here pretty soon. And when I die, you'll be made whole. Therefore, you'll be born again. The fourth thing that we see is the well experience where Jesus meets a woman and she's thirsty. But instead of giving her water, what does he do? He asks for some water. Because Jesus says this, if you give me what I need, I'll give you what you want. God needs water. God needs us to talk about him. God needs us to glorify and worship him. Because when you worship him and you tell him how great he is, he automatically gives you what you want. God's like a good baby daddy. Oh, he's so strong. You take care of your kids, girl. You take care of That's how God is. God wants to hear his name in your mouth. And the minute he doesn't hear your name in his mouth, he starts to get a little bit jealous. Like, who else's name is in your mouth? Like, I'm the one that's providing all this stuff that you got. Even if I gave you the money to get lunch, if you pay for lunch for somebody else, you didn't pay for their lunch. You're using what I gave you. So God is extremely jealous. And John writes a whole book about how jealous God is. Can we, can we dive into it? So here's the title of my message today before we jump into it. You ready? The title of my message today is Eyes Open, Wide Shut. Eyes Open, Wide Shut. So what would happen when Jesus would do all of these miracles? The reason why these four are particular, because Jesus was doing these miracles at a time where the Pharisees, who said that they loved God, but they were really just legalistic. They just wanted to keep the law of God to have an excuse to kill them. Oh, that's such a Bible study point. So the Pharisees were upset because nobody, you're not even supposed to like breathe on the Sabbath. Like it's holy. God rested, so we do nothing. But Jesus does miracles. He takes care of people. He heals the blind. He heals the sick. So the problem that people had with this is that there was this like, there was this repetitious issue that would happen. Because whenever he would do something, there were, there, were, there were four things that would happen. This is what would happen. Write these down. Jesus would perform a sign or make a claim. Jesus would either make water to wine or he would walk into a group of people and be like, hey, y'all looking for the one? I am the one. And nobody wanted to hear it. The same people that were giving sacrifices to God, once they met God in person, they didn't want to hear him. Man, I wish I could play tambourine. Um, you got to teach me, Kim. The second thing that would happen is that once he made the claim or did the sign, people would misunderstand and get angry, always. They always would get under, misunderstood. They, they, would all, they would always misunderstand him and get frustrated. The third thing is that they would seek out counsel to understand who he was. So instead of understanding God when he said, this is who I am, they would go to man and try to interpret something that was holy with something that could not be clean yet. The fourth thing that they would do is that they were forced to make a decision of if they believed it or not. The reason that we have to use faith is because when people met Jesus for the first time, they had to do the same thing. You've been praying for a Messiah, and now you meet somebody that says that he is. You have no context, so the only way that you can believe this person is through what? Through faith. That's the reason why when you really need to use your faith, you have no context to base it off of. Because if you had context to base it off of, you would be able to say, oh, that makes sense. That makes reason. And in humans, what we're always looking for is for reason. But the crazy thing about God is that God doesn't understand reason. He didn't create reason. What he created was faith. God doesn't understand reason. 
Somebody passes away in your family. God, I don't understand. And God's like, I don't even know what the word understand is. I'm God. I do what I want. I could kill everybody on earth and still be holy. So, like, what is this reason that you're, that you're coming up with? You want to know how you're made like God? How many of you got babies at the house? Whenever they do something wrong, how interested are you in the reason for breaking your favorite vase? I'm being honest. Your baby takes a bright, red, shiny marker all over your walls and looks, Mommy, isn't it pretty? You, 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 uh, okay, next time you listen to reason, I want you to videotape it. Let me see how reasonable you want to be with him. No, you're made just like God, which means that when something happens, he wants to know the core. I don't care about the reason. Where is your heart? Where was your heart? Well, God, I was, no, 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 I don't care about what happened. He broke up with me. She cheated on me. I don't care. Where were you? Like, where was your heart? Like, why did you do what you do? Well, I have reason. I don't care about reason because I don't understand that. Look at your neighbor. Say, God doesn't care about reason. So in John 9, we're going to read today. You ready to read? We're going to read in this words. So at the end of it, you can't look at me and say, well, Josh said, nope. Jesus did. So in John 9, 1 through 41 of the message, listen to this. He says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. This is Jesus. It's where you see a capital H-I-S, that's the, the one, the God. His disciples asked him, underline this, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? At this point in time, if somebody was born blind or sick or ill or they were less than perfect, the people at this time believed that, okay, somebody sinned back, at, in, back in the day, and now because they sin, now you're the one that's getting the repercussion for it. Verse 3. This is what Jesus says, neither this man nor who, his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happened so that what? The works of God might be displayed in him, period. What happens to you sometimes happens and there's no reason you can't find it. But I want to make sure you understand it. Remember how I said God doesn't have, re he doesn't understand reason? I want you to understand this. If, if, it, if it was allowed to happen and if it could have happened, then God has to use it. There is nothing that has ever happened under the face of the sun that God has not used because he's God. Remember those infallible truths because you're fighting it right now. People are like, no, well, Granny died in 98. That's great, but God used it. You try to find a reason to fill that empty space where that person is gone, but God doesn't fill empty spaces with reason. He fills empty spaces with faith. Woo! It's going to get good. I promise it's going to get good. As long as it is day, this is what Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he does what? He spits on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. He never talked to the man. He never spoke to the man. He didn't ask the man his reason for him being blind. He didn't even ask the man if he wanted to be able to see. Jesus spits in the ground. He makes, dirt out of, uh, he makes mud out of his saliva. He puts it on the man's eyes, and he says two things. I want you to go to the, uh, the, the, uh, I want you to go to the water of Siloam, and I want you to wash it away. That's it. What we have to understand is that once Jesus did what he did, he walked off. He didn't wait to see if people saw him do it. That's why Instagram and, and Facebook is so tough because, like, we'll give money to the homeless, but, like, we'll have our selfie stick so that people see us give it. No, no, no. What Jesus did in the kingdom version is this. Let me give you what you need so that God gets the glory and I'll walk off. Rather than me staying and people saying, what did you do? Oh, I'm all that. No, no, no. Jesus himself, who is the one who is worthy of glory, fixes the man's sight and keeps moving as to say, God's going to get, God's going to get glory out of this. 
Even though I can, because I am the son of man, the son of man, when you see God and when you see me, you see the same person. But no, no, no. God, I'm not gonna get in the way of you getting glory with what you've done. After saying this, he spit in the ground. He says, Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. The word of Siloam literally means sent. Underline that. I'm gonna come back to it. So the man did what? He went and washed his eyes. And he came home seeing. Period. Like, I don't have to teach anymore. The man didn't question Jesus. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't even have to, like, ask how to see, which, which we have to understand this. Once God delivers you from something, you automatically get the download of strategy to understand it. If you've been blind, this man's been blind his whole life. He has no recollection of colors. Like, when you say the color blue, now that he can see, he doesn't know what blue is. All this is new. But when Jesus delivered him, he never delivers you with an instruction book. Jesus delivers you, and it's already downloaded to your mainframe. Oh. So if you're a father that's trying to figure out how to take care of all of these kids, once God delivers you, you really don't have to look for more because the minute he delivers you, God plants himself inside of you, and that's all you need. If you learn how to activate God in yourself, you don't need any of this. Because the only part of a service at church that's for God is the worship. The only part that God receives glory in is two parts. The worship is when you give your heart to him at the end. In between that, all he's hearing is a regurgitation of what he put in a book a, thousand, a couple thousand years ago. So that's why you have to worship because that's the only time where God's ears are really open to hear you. Oh. Look at your neighbor and say, worship is for God. It's not for you to be cute on Instagram. You didn't have to say it, but your spirit was provoked. Like, hey, I got to say this. It's not for the gram. Hallelujah. Worship isn't a cute photo so that you can be caught in the photo so the girl on the opposite side of the building thinks you're cute. No, 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 no. The question is, what is your posture when nobody's there to watch you? Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. So what happens later on, when we look through the 8th chapter to the 25th chapter, the man who's blind goes and washes his face, right? And he comes back. But the first thing that happens is, is once you get delivered, you're going to, re you're going to meet opposition with the people that used to remember you blind. So the man comes back, he comes back, and the first thing that he hears, nobody congratulates him on being able to see. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is, this can't be the same guy. These are probably the same people that were praying and fasting for God, give him sight. Lord, give him sight. God, we plead the blood. Hey, we plead the blood. Now that he can see, they're frustrated because they weren't connected to the deliverance. Be careful who prays for you because sometimes they're not looking for you to deliver it as much as they're looking to be the one that had the one that... To say the prayer. Did you show up to the hospital because my baby's sick because you love my baby? Or did you show up because you want to be able to go home sleeping better at night because, yeah, I showed up. No, no, no. God is selfish. Which means that once he does something, he gets the glory. He doesn't care about you if you laid hands on him. You're not so... You're not so holy that your prayers work more than God's strength. God says, if I wanted the man to be able to see, I could have done it without you. So what God really wants us to understand is this. You are powerful, but you are not the powerful one. You are strong, you are mighty, but you are not the strong and mighty one. There's only one. Look at your neighbor and say, there's only one. There's only one. The neighborhood people take the man to the Pharisees. Remember those same people that the people took Jesus to when he was doing all those signs and wonders? They take the blind man to the same, the same people. Well, the Pharisees get really frustrated because Jesus has done a great work, but he did it on the Sabbath. 
Like, yeah, he can see, but you did it when we weren't supposed to. Like, yeah, you healed him, and now he's able to see and enjoy everything that you've made, but you did it at a time that was inconvenient for us. God, you healed this family member that's been strung out on drugs right before Thanksgiving, but I wasn't ready to forgive him yet. Because it's inconvenient to me. I'm, my, my heart isn't ready. But what Jesus wants us to understand is that I don't really care about the people around you. If I want you to see, I'm going to make it happen. That's why you got to be very careful what you ask for. Because the minute that you give it to God with your tithes, your offering, you have literally sent a sacrifice that now takes away your convenience. God, I want to become a better person. God says, okay, bet. You no longer have convenience. Now you got to become a better person with the person that you hate. But God, I don't like them. And? I don't understand the reason. You gave up the offering. I'm answering it. So sometimes, Pastor Martin, I think that a lot of our unanswered prayers are just inconvenient times in our lives. It's not that God didn't answer the prayer. It's just that we didn't like the way he answered it. So then we'll look at people like, God hasn't answered my prayer. God, I want to become a better person. I want to become patient. So then God gives you a job that you hate with a boss that you hate with too much work. God didn't bless me, but I thought you asked for patience. Because God doesn't give you what you want. He gives you the environment to grow that muscle. So, so now the man that was blind, I kind of see why he didn't say anything. Because he was probably like, if God's going to make me see, I don't want to add anything to it that would make me look like a liar. You lie all the time. You do it all, you do it all the time. God, Lord, I want to see people correctly. The next day somebody curses you, smooth out, and you curse them out. God, I can't believe that person came into my office and blah, 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 blah. And God's like, well, I thought that you wanted to work on becoming a patient person. So I gave you an opportunity to practice your patience. You don't practice faith when it's easy to have it. That's obsolete. That's obsolete. It's easy to not eat terrible food when you're at your house if you can't cook. But when you go to Meemaw's house and you got cabbage greens and, and everything at the crib, it's a little bit more difficult because now there's stuff there. You do not build your faith in the, in, in the issue. You make up your mind to have faith before it happens. So then the people become divided. Half of the people are with the Pharisees, which basically say, like, yes, what Jesus did was great, but it, he did it on the Sabbath. And the other half blindly commit to what Jesus did. This is what we call a reckless abandonment. There were some people that didn't need reason. I don't even know if this man is real, but that dude couldn't see yesterday, and Buddy can see now. I'm trusting this guy. Well, you're crazy. Can you turn people's eyes open? Didn't think so. I'm following dude. There are too many, there are too many examples of God's grace in this room, people's marriages that were falling apart, and they're great. Why would you go to those people and ask questions and just be like, if he can do it for them, he can do it for me? Fill that gap with your faith and not with skepticism. 25th chapter, um, 25th verse. This is what the blind man says to the people, because they, they keep asking him questions. They keep asking him questions, asking him questions. The blind man says this. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing that I do know. So you don't drink with us no more. You ain't going to sleep around no more. You think you're better than us. I don't know if I'm better than anybody. But what I know is that yesterday I couldn't see, but today I can see. And I was hanging around you when I was blind, and I was still bumping into stuff. 
which means that you were supposed to be my eyes and you didn't care about where I was looking. But now that I can see, I don't need y'all no more. Which means that once you see yourself correctly, the people that were around you that didn't see you correctly, you'll start to see them for who they really are. Because when you have to trust what people say, people are really good with their words. But once you're able to see their actions, their words mean nothing. Look at your neighbor and say, open your eyes. Don't blindly trust anyone, but look at their life and let it be replication of what Jesus Christ has done. That's first mark for you. you got to know the words so you can just recite it so it's convenient. Anyway, anyway. The 26th and the 29th chapter, they try to prove the blind man as a liar. And it gets to the point where the blind man's like, oh, I get it now. I'm not the, real, I'm not the one that was really blind. What? I know. I know. He looks at them. He's like, wow, I, was, I wasn't blind. Y'all are. I'm the one that couldn't see yesterday. Who else can tell my testimony better than me? That's why when you share your testimony with people and they start asking questions, well, are you really saved? Oh, don't get upset with them. Be like, wow, you can't see what God did for me because you weren't looking for him to do it in the first place. That's why you can't appreciate the job where I got the raise. That's why you can't appreciate my husband and I that we were fighting and we were divorced, but now we're back together. Isn't that crazy how great things can happen to you and people still have a but and? Isn't that interesting? Like, we're back together. That, yeah, but and. Like, wait a minute. No, we're great, period. You should be rejoicing with me. But you'll really learn who's with you when you share good news with them and they add a comma instead of a period. You'll know when you say, this is what God has done for me, and they don't celebrate at the period where they manipulate that period into a comma and try to remind you of who you were before it happened. Well, you used to. I, key word, used to. Man, we're waking t-shirts. I'm going to put, I'm tatting it right here on my chest. Used to. Don't start no sentences with me that you used to. Yeah, key word, used to. Used, used to. Backwards. Clap once if you love God's word. So the 30th chapter, I mean 30th verse, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from yet, and he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Underline the word. We try to take that word, and God doesn't listen to non-believers, and God doesn't listen to those that don't trust in him. No, no, no. God doesn't listen to who? So when we sin, God literally cannot hear us. That's why God isn't interested in what you did. He's interested in your heart posture. So when you come to God and say, God, I'm so sorry for what I did, God's like, I don't really care about what you did because I created a way for you to get out of it. My question is, once I give you relief from it, where is your heart going to go? Is your heart going to go in my back pocket or is it going to go back to the thing that I just delivered you from? God can't hear you when he sees sin because he hates it. He loves you, but his lens when you sin is the sin. That's why the wrath of God is never towards his people. It's towards what they're going through. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. 32nd verse. Nobody has ever heard of opening eyes of a, mind, of a man that was born blind. If the man were not from God, he could do nothing. 34th. To, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they do what? They threw him out. The 35th chapter, um, I'm sorry, the 35th verse is so important. Remember that context heading I was talking to you about when you're reading? If you look back up, you can kind of get the gist of what you're reading about. 
at the top of the 35th chapter, in, I mean, I'm sorry, verse in your Bible, it says spiritual blindness. So that means that Jesus took 34 verses to get you to the last four. What I've been talking about all day, Jesus used physical blindness to speak about how you're spiritually blind. Meaning that I can fix your physical eyesight, but if your spirit is blind, it's all for nothing. So listen to this. So Jesus heard that they had done what? Thrown him out. And when he found him, he said what? Do you believe in the Son of Man? He didn't ask him, how do you like your sight? He, he, he doesn't ask him, like, what was it like when you were blind? Jesus comes to collect. Jesus says, now that I've done what I've done for you, do you believe me? Which means that God doesn't worship with you once you're free from sin. God worships with you when you choose to choose him over what you send in. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man is standing in the presence of God the Father and doesn't know it, which means that he's able to see, but his spirit is still blind because he doesn't have discernment to know that the man that made me see is this guy. Remember how Jesus doesn't speak to the blind man? That means that somebody told him to do something and he walks off. He has no recollection because he hasn't seen him yet. Oh. So God can heal you from things, but you don't see him yet. Ah. He was blind and God takes care of him. He speaks to him. Then he goes and he's able to see. Jesus comes back and says, hey, so do you believe in the son of man now? The blind man says, I don't know who are you. He still, he still doesn't understand who he is because now that he's able to see, he still can't see yet. His eyes are open, but they're wide shut. Ugh. Listen, Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said what? Lord, I believe. He didn't reason with him. He didn't settle with him. He didn't, like, like level with him. He didn't ask him any questions. He just says, okay, cool. You're the one that made me, believe, made me see. I have no context of sight, so I have to believe it's you. Why not? I'm going to follow you. Jesus says, all right, bet. Let's go. <laughs> Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world. So that conversation that God's the only one that can judge me or nobody can judge me, that's the reason why God is here, to judge you. Remember the infallible truth? God is king, God is just, God is amazing, but God is judge. If God is deliverer, he's judge. If God is lover, he's also a discipline. If God is understanding, he's also going to make you do things that you don't want to do. If you're going to believe in this thing that we call Christianity, the kingdom life, you have to understand that if God is all of these great things over here, he's also the parts that you don't want to talk about on the other side. And one of them is judge. When every time you do something, it is written and it is stricken against you until you repent. You want me to prove it to you? Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. No, I'm going to prove it to you at the end. I'm going to make you wait. Make you wait. The 41st chapter, 40, 40 uh, verse, sorry. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, what, are you blind too? They asked Jesus, are you blind? You claim to be the son of God. Now we're going to ask you, are you blind too, sir? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, if you were blind, it wouldn't be because of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus says, 
If you were blind, it wouldn't be because you were a sinful person. But now that you claim that you can see, but you don't accept me, now that's not right. Because that means that the Pharisees believed that they had the ability to see things without the power of Jesus to reveal it to them. That's a lot of us. We'll worship God as long as we get to get the glory of trying to, like, I turned my life around. You turned your life around? Really? I was addicted to pornography, and then by the grace of God, I, I, I stopped. You stopped? Or was it the grace of God that gave you the power to do so? So I got a couple points for you, and then I'll get you out the door. I got seven of them. For those of you that have been not taking notes, this is the time to start writing some things down. Can I get my, my, my props, please? The first thing is this. Number one, we are all born blind. I don't know if you know this, but every baby that has ever been born is born legally blind. Because the first time that a baby uses its eyes is once it's pushed out and it begins to breathe and open up its eyes. When you are in the womb, you have no reason to have your eyes open. Adam and Eve, ignorance. They didn't know evil. They didn't even know goodness. They just knew, man, this is dope. If I want a, a rib sandwich, all I got to do is snap, it show up. If I want a fish plate, you know what a fish dinner is? Two fillets, catfish, or cod, or whiting, depending if you're saved or not. Um, some potato salad, two pieces of white bread, and some hot sauce on that boy, and you make a sandwich. Right? Like, if they wanted it, they could ask for it, which means that their eyes were closed to certain things. This is what I'm trying to share with you. We believe that we have to see things in order to prove that it's real. What God is trying to make you understand is that you don't have to see it if I told you. First thing is this. We are born blind. In the beginning, we are born into sin because of one person's mistake. So when you were born, you were born blind. You couldn't see anything. The second thing is this. Your struggle is a stage for God's strength. The man being blind wasn't a testament to him being sinful. No, no, no. Sometimes what happens to you is just an opportunity for you to surrender to God so that God can get the glory out of your struggle. Let me prove it to you. Jesus is not embarrassed nor taken back by the following. Jesus is not embarrassed by your sin, what you did last night, your struggle, your addiction, your burden, or your disbelief. You want to know what embarrasses God? Is when you choose to turn to that and not to him. That's embarrassing. I created you, I'm your father, but you don't even trust me enough to give me what you're dealing with. Rather, he will use whatever you're dealing with for his glory. The third thing is this. Look at your neighbor and say, it had to be dirt. Why do you think it had to be dirt? Because if Jesus would have used anything other than dirt, it would have dried too quickly or he wouldn't have been able to get it off his eyes. Let me show you. And then I'm going to have to finish this later because is it okay if I do a part two? All right, I don't have time, so I'm going to move real quick. The reason why it had to be dirt is because dirt is porous. When Jesus used dirt, what he did was he introduced the blind man to who he was in the beginning. When Jesus took the dirt, what he did is he said, this is who you used to be. This is you perfect. This is you amazing. This is you great. And what you need in this is a little bit of this. <laughs> This is what you need. The only way. The only way that you're going to be able to see. The 
The only way that you're going to be able to see is if it's dirt. Because if it's cement, once it dries, you won't be able to get it off. I got I to gotta mix who you originally were with who I am so that you can see me clearly. I have to show you when you were perfect so that you, when you knew who you were and whose you were. The cement dries too quickly and clay is too brittle. So that when it comes time, listen, don't get frustrated with how messy it is because this is the same thing that God's going to use to free you. Once he took it, he said, listen, this is what I need you to do. Listen, listen, listen. Do not get frustrated. Do not think this is disgusting. It's my spit and I'm good with it, so you be good with it. Jesus said the only way that you're going to be able to see is if you do this thing that we call participate. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The next point that I have is that your deliverance will always require your participation. Because if he wouldn't have participated, the man would have been like this for the rest of his life. Walking around with the provision of Jesus on his face, but with no faith to actually do what God told him to do. God has told many people in this room what to do, and you have the deliverance on your face, but you won't use your faith and participate with what God wants for you. I need somebody to help me because I can't see where my, where my podium is. Where am I supposed to go? Straight? To the left? What Jesus wants from us isn't to get frustrated, but, oh, my God, this is so messy. It stinks. Man, did you take a, a haul? Like this, this tastes like spit. It's like what God wants from us is this. this. This is what he wants. You know what, God? You doing it for me isn't enough. In order for me to get the full manifestation of your deliverance, I got to participate. It's not good enough. It's not good enough that you want me free. I want me free too. The miracle will always require your participation. The potential of Jesus' healing power was activated by the man's obedience. The healing power was in his spit and in the dirt. But it was unlocked when he said, God, you know what? I'm going to trust you. And you know what water represents? When God helps you out, it's not good enough for you just to have the deliverance. you got to wash yourself every day with this thing called his word. Ah! you got to wash yourself. God, you know what? There are going to be times where I can't hear you, so I'm going to keep washing what's going on. And when I sin and I put what was there before back, I'm going to continue to wash myself. God, there's never going to be a moment where I think that I can clean myself. Because what I understand is that once I am clean, what used to have me blind is now yours. Number six, listen to this. Don't allow God's method to keep you from your deliverance. A lot of y'all didn't like the spit. You thought it smelled. You didn't like it. God, I don't like it. I know you want me to do this, and it's going to give me deliverance, but it's messy, God. It stinks. And God doesn't care about what you think. He says, do you want to see? Do you want to see? If you want to see, you're going to take anything that I give you. If I spit in mud, if I bleed on a cross, are you, if you don't like blood, then you're really not going to like what I'm going to do at the end of Matthew. If you don't like my spit, there's no way you're going to accept my blood. So let me introduce you to something that's less gross than my blood. Because the only way that you receive God is by jumping head first into the pool. That's the only way. And I'm going to burst your bubble. The pool is filled with what? Blood. And blood is thicker than water, y'all. This can help me see, but his blood can help me live. 
This is the end. Can I close? This is it. Listen to this. Listen to this. When we look in the word, at the end, we see that Jesus, um, that God wants the, uh, Adam and Eve, once they figure out that they're sinful, they try to obstruct God's vision to who they are. They go and they take fig leaves and they sew them together as to try to hide from the all-seeing eye. Oh, Father, God! They try to hide from a man that can see through it. They take fig leaves because before they were ignorant. They didn't know that they were naked, but now they know. This is the reason why when you sin, you don't really care about God. You feel so guilty and convicted because what you've done has now exposed you and you feel naked. But this is what happens. Can you please throw it up? Can you please throw it up? Genesis, it's the end of Genesis. Um, Genesis uh, 8. Can you throw up Genesis 8, please? In the message. This is going to set somebody free. I know it is. I know it is. And it's not because I know it. It's because you want it. Um, can you go back to the, uh, the seven? seven uh, let me just look it up. Let me just look it up. Is this good? I'm not holding you, right? Okay. Oh, come on, Joshua. Here it is. In the ninth chapter, it says that when they heard the sound of God's strolling in the garden, underline the word strolling. This is the ninth, this, I'm sorry, yeah, this is the eighth, the eighth verse of chapter three. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man of his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. Remember, they ate the fruit. Now they can really see, which means that they weren't supposed to see some things, and now sin has made them dirty. But listen to this. God is strolling, and he's approaching them calmly as if to remind them that his presence is not supposed to be resisted. This is going to set somebody free today. God has now... The first time ever, sin is in his presence, and he doesn't run at them. He doesn't scream at them. He doesn't bull through the garden. What do they hear? They hear him do this, stroll, which is to walk peacefully in one direction with intent. Even in their sin, God still wanted them to understand this. Even though what you did is what you did, I am still approachable. Write this down. There is no resistance to repentance. God is never going to fight you to come to him to clean your life up. The ninth chapter, God said to man, where are you? Look at your neighbor and say, where are you? Just like a good mom, she don't ask you where you are. She don't ask you, why were you kicked out of school? Like, mom, you know, why you already know. Why would you know I was kicked out? You know, so you know. God doesn't ask Adam and Eve where they are because he doesn't know. God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Because he wants to know, are you lost enough to trust me? And there's somebody in the room where God today is asking you, where are you? It's not that God doesn't know. He knows. He is the almighty. He literally created you in your mother's womb. And your mother before that, and your grandmother, and your great-grandmother. and your So when he asks you where you are, he's not asking where you are. He's asking you, where, where is the perfect person that I made? If you're living in doubt, that's not the person I made. If you're sick, that's not the person that I made. Where are you? Where, where, where are you, Adam? I used to know you, but now that you're in sin, I can't know you. 
In Romans 5, 1 through 9, listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. Not only so, but we can also have glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces uh, perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen to this. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, God didn't wait for you to get cleaned up to give give his life to you. God said, "I I want them as dirty as they are. God, don't clean them. I want to step in that space so that I can fix their focus. Don't fix them yet. Let me do it. Give them to me while they're still sick. Give me, th- give me them while they still can't see. Give me them while they're still tripping up in this thing called sin. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, when you were sinning, you were literally the enemy of God. But when you become reborn and renewed, you become a friend of God. Listen to this. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the question that I have for you today. This is the question that God has for you today. The question is this. Where are you? Like, where, where are you? God knows where you are, but I think that God is looking for you to be honest with yourself. God, I'm lost. I'm lost. I keep making these same decisions over and over, thinking that I'm powerful enough to get out of it. But God, you know what? I'm just going to give up. I'm blind. I think I can see, but I'm blind. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet.